Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Well, guys, we have been, we're just two weeks into a new sermon series. If you're joining us right now, um, you're, it's the perfect time because we're talking about doubt, all right? This is a really, really important topic because it's being talked about a lot um, in a lot of different circles. And as a pastor, a lot of different articles come, come by my desk and people are always sending me stuff. And people are really, and people have always wrestled with doubt, but, um, but even recently, there's just been, um, there's just this been phenomenon that's happened with a lot of people who've kind of grown up in a, ch- in a church environment or in a church culture. And then now they're adults, or maybe they're middle schoolers or high schoolers or, or young adult, or maybe they're into their, into their adult life. And now they're starting to like say, wait a minute, I was taught this, but this doesn't seem to quite fit. It doesn't seem to quite work. And so people are, the term for it is, is many people are deconstructing their faith. And uh, we're going to spend some weeks talking about doubt because here's why. It's because healthy churches talk about doubt. Healthy families talk about doubt. Unhealthy churches, churches don't talk about doubt. Unhealthy families don't talk about doubt. Healthy individuals talk about their doubts. Unhealthy individuals don't talk about their doubts or don't feel like they can talk about their doubts. And, uh, and doubt, as we talked about last week, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week, you so should, uh, because I just kind of like laid out the foundation for where we're headed in these next weeks. But what we said last week is that doubt is an important part of your faith journey, okay? Doubt is an important part of your faith journey. Um, it is, it just is, because part of faith is we're learning, we're growing. And so um, if you have, it's, it's always a part of the process is we're, 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 if we're seeking truth, if we're really genuinely seeking truth, then we should be just humbly saying, Lord, if there's false things that I believe, then Lord, would you help show them to me? Um, and there might be some things that I was taught or raised with, or maybe even just some things that I picked up on my own that aren't true. And so those things should be deconstructed. Those things should be doubted in a way because that makes my faith stronger. That makes my faith better. That launches me into just fresh seasons of faith. But on the other hand, even though that doubt is an important part of your faith journey, you have to remember that if it becomes, it, be, it can become dangerous and destructive when it becomes the point of your faith journey. It should be a part of it, that's healthy, but it becomes unhealthy when it's the point, the point of your faith journey. And um, as we've seen in our culture, um, for a lot of people, the, it's, become, it's become very, very cool to be a Christian who's in the perpetual process of deconstruction, in the perpetual process of doubt. Um, the philosopher Charles Taylor um, calls our, our kind of like age as a culture right now, he calls it the age of authenticity. The age of authenticity. And what it means to be in the, in the age of authenticity is that it's cool, it's really good if you're a spiritual seeker. Our culture says, oh, you're a spiritual seeker? Oh, way to go. You just seek spiritual truth. But if anybody actually lands on some spiritual truth, now you're a bigot. Now you're a hater. 
Now you think you're better than everybody else. So our culture says, be authentic, find truth, and we'll, you know, like, cheers to you. But if you find truth at all, then our culture shuts down on you and says, no, no, that is not welcomed here. <laughs> and so people tend to feel like that it's a really great place to be, to always just be questioning and never landing. Uh, G.K. Chesterton says it this way, is that the, he says that the point of an open mind is the same as an open mouth. The point of an open mouth is that you're supposed to close it again on something solid. And if you don't ever close your mouth on something solid, you starve. And is it okay to have an open mind? Sure, sure. But the point is to have an open mind is we were searching for truth and now we wanna, we wanna find truth and, we and then now we close our mind, not like being closed off. No, we close our mind on truth. Why? Because it's truth, because it's true. And so um, this is why we're talking about it. I don't know what kind of doubts you came in here to, with today, but I, you're in the right place. Westside is a safe place to ask questions. Westside is a safe place to just walk through seasons. Remember I said that we exist to help people, uh, reconcile people to Jesus through the grace of God step by step. Um, and so I don't know what step you're on, but we wanna help. Um, but maybe you're not in a season of doubt. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm good. Well, chances are you know eight people that are in a heavy season of doubt. And so as we go through this sermon series, I don't want you just, just to ask, do I know this stuff? Because maybe you do, maybe you know it, maybe nothing's new for you. Okay, that's fine. I, I don't even want you to ask that question then. then I want you to ask like, can I, can I take this and can I have conversations with other people that are walking through doubt? Because they might never come to church and they might never ever talk to me, but they're gonna talk with you. They might trust you with some of their doubts. And are you prepared to be able to um, ask them questions back and engage in conversation and dialogue? So I, I hope that this whole sermon series just helps us. Last week, we looked at uh, the Bible's most famous doubter Thomas. It's an unfair title for Thomas, as we said last, last week, but I actually had a lot of fun talking about Thomas last week. Uh, I learned a lot from that sermon, actually, and I saw some stuff in the text that I'd never seen before. Uh, we, said, we said for Thomas that many times doubt starts with disappointment. Um, we said that Thomas doesn't leave his community and also his faith community doesn't leave him or doesn't abandon him, even though he's got doubts. I think that's really significant. I've never saw that in the text before. And, uh, and then also we saw that, that hope that Jesus comes through locked doors. And how does Jesus treat doubters? How does Jesus treat people with questions? Well, he does with us the same thing that he did with Thomas is he makes himself available to us. He just makes himself available. That's what he did with Thomas. And that's what he does with us. That's a really beautiful thing. Um, next week, you don't want to miss next week because one of the things that people doubt most or have the most like kind of angst with is the Bible. Can I trust it? Can I trust this document, how it was translated? And plus there's stuff in there. Like, isn't there stuff in there about owning slaves? And isn't there stuff in there about, you know, like subjugating women and, you know, and like men being in charge of women? And doesn't it have a lot of violence in there? And doesn't it have just a lot of things that it's like, how can we trust it? I mean, how can we, how can we call it God's word? And how can I embody it in my life today? If those are where some of your doubts lie, that's what we're talking about next week, all right? So make sure you don't miss that together. But uh, today, tonight, I wanna, we're gonna look at a, a famous passage of scripture um, where the most famous Bible verse ever is found, all right? And we're gonna read that verse in its context. Um, but tonight I just want to, you, I wanna give you this question that 
you can ask of yourself in the midst of your doubts, but also it's a question that I just want you to be prepared with when you start to talk with someone else, maybe about what they're struggling with or what they're doubting or what they feel like they're, they're rejecting um, about Christianity. Um, here's a question that I found so helpful and I wanna give it to you and then we'll just see it kind of get fleshed out in, in this passage of scripture that we're gonna look at. Um, but here's the question. It's, uh, and I'll just kind of like unpack it, but it's this, it's what kind of Christianity are you deconstructing? What kind of Christianity are you deconstructing? Or maybe another way to ask it would be, what kind of Christianity are, are, you, are you wrestling with? Like what kind of Christianity do you have a problem with? This is an important question because I find this, I find that when I talk with people and I have talked with so many people over the years about just what they're wrestling with, um, I find that when I talk with people and they, and they, and I say, Hey, you know, they're talking to me about their doubts. Like, I don't know if I can believe in the Bible anymore. Or Jesus, you know, I just, and, uh, and I say, uh, and they start to tell me why. And I, you know, I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get a picture of what kind of Christianity that they're actually rejecting. And this is the question I ask. I say, can you describe to me just what, what kind of brand of Christianity you're deconstructing? What brand of Christianity that you're pushing against? And then they usually dive into a description of Christianity that isn't actually Christianity. They usually dive into a description of, oh my goodness, like, you know, if this is what Christianity looks like, like if it looks like this and looks like this, then I don't wanna have any part of it. And then usually I step in and say, hey, if those are your critiques of Christianity, guess what? I have the same ones. In fact, Jesus spoke against all those things that you just mentioned. Jesus has so much to say about those things. That stuff that you hate about what you see kind of in, in, in Christianity, those are some of the same things that Jesus hated too. And he talked about and he like fought against. And it's, a, it's an important question to ask of ourselves and it's an important question to ask from other people because usually people have doubts and they're starting to deconstruct their faith because they were given a version of their faith growing up perhaps. They were a part of a church community perhaps or they had a, they had a family, a Christian family perhaps, but the, but the Christianity that they were given, the theology that they were handed, the, the ways in which we, uh, which in their context, it means to actually follow Jesus were not really Christianity at all. In fact, it was, it's, it, the, maybe that what they were handed actually pushes against actual Christianity in the first place. And how, how, how much of a shame would it be? How, how sad would it be for someone to say, I don't believe any of it and just push the whole thing away when really their hearts are actually searching for true Christianity. And what they should be pushing away is the Christianity that they were handed from when they were growing up or maybe you know, a church community that they were a part of. I don't know. But in this passage of scripture, we're gonna see a guy. We're gonna see a guy who has a version of religion, has a version of religion that he believes is true. And he has an encounter with Jesus and he is forced with a decision to make. He's forced with this decision to, to either hold on to like this faith that he believes is true, but actually isn't, and just dig his heels in the ground, or he, or he has the potential to say, just believe none of it. He's just gonna deconstruct the whole thing and just, you know, like none of it means anything anymore. Or he could be humble and just listen to Jesus, and Jesus is gonna start untying the knots of this guy's life. 
Before I get to the passage of scripture, um, I, uh, as I said earlier, I, as a pastor, I always have to weigh whether I'm gonna tell people I'm a pastor or not because, because I'll start a relationship with someone and maybe they don't ask the question and I don't usually offer it up like, right, right hey, I'm Brooks, I'm a pastor. You know, I usually don't do that. Um, I just start a relationship. And so uh, sometimes when they say, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And then they have to be like, oh, pardon my French. You know, like, I'm really sorry. I usually don't smoke this much, you know, like, They've got all sorts of excuses for like why they, you know, they're embarrassed about what they said because they're assuming that I'm judging them, you know, like as I'm, as I'm meeting them. Um, and so it's kind of like a fun thing for me just to be able to like just to destroy those stereotypes and just come into people's lives and they find out I'm a pastor. I did this when I started working at Starbucks. When I moved here um, to Pastor Westside for, the, for about the first year, I had a side job working at the West 11th Starbucks. And so I was getting to know the people there and they were getting to know me. And it was about three months into my time there when, uh, when they started asking me questions because I was, just asking, I was just getting to know them and the other employees. And, uh, and I was talking to one guy that I'd spent a lot of, I had multiple shifts just working with there at Starbucks and um, getting to know him and getting to know his life and just doesn't believe, you know, like church, God doesn't believe in any of it, you know. And I knew eventually he'd find out I was a pastor. And so one day he's like, hey, so I hear you have another job. I was like, yeah, I, I'm a pastor. I pastor a church in town. And he's like, oh man, yeah, I, I used to go to church. Yep, I, I used to be like really into it. And then the church that I was going to, the, the pastor had an affair with my mom. So I haven't been back. I think it's a bunch of hogwash. Of course, he's rejecting. He's rejecting that kind of Christianity, whatever that is, whatever aberration that is of Christianity, that's the thing that he's rejecting. But he thinks he has to reject the whole thing because none of it's true. And so I'm grateful for those moments where I just get to be a part of someone's life and be able to be a part of the process of helping show that young man that that's not what Christianity looks like, that it's so much better than that, it's so much more beautiful than that. This is what happens in this passage. This is from John chapter three. Uh, and it's a really famous guy um, that uh, maybe you've been around church, you've heard his story before. It's a guy named Nicodemus. And here's what happens is, um, is uh, I'll just start reading and then we'll just kind of creepy crawly through it and we'll see where it leads us. Starting in verse one in John chapter three. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Now pause right there because we've, we learned a few things about Nicodemus so far. We know, we know that he's, um, he's, he's coming to Jesus at night. This is Nick at night, everyone. All right, this is what we call it in, in our house. And Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night. And so you already know already that like, you know, he's, he's not, he, maybe he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus. There's not quite sure. It's like there's maybe some backdoor politics going on with his particular group. And so he's got to approach Jesus at this, at this dark hour so that nobody sees. And we also know that he's a, a member of the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees were this highly religious group of people that had a version of faith in their minds of what it meant to be faithful to God. And for them, it was if we perform well, if we do all the right things, and if we get everybody else to do all the right things, that's what's gonna make us good in God's sight. And that's what makes us in, that's what gets us to heaven. That's what gives us a relationship with God is we have to be good and do all the right stuff. 
And they just believe this. And Jesus, in so many different places in the Gospels, is, is fighting against the Pharisees and arguing with them and just going to battle with them because he's trying to give them a bigger vision of what it means to follow God. And certainly doing good things is a part of it, but doing good things is the outflow of a changed heart that when God gives us grace, God gives us grace, no matter what we've done, he gives us grace. And that is the thing that transforms our hearts. And then that becomes the new engine that then causes us to change our behavior. We become transformed because we start to look more and more like Jesus. The Pharisees are coming from this direction. Good works makes a change heart. But Jesus is coming from this direction is no grace first, then then a changed heart and then the life be, gets transformed. And so they're just that's why they're clashing and clashing. Nicodemus has a vision of what it looks like to be religious. And he listen, he has built his whole life on it. I mean, he is all in on this whole Pharisee thing. He is all in on his version of faith, his version of religion. And Jesus is about to have a little conversation with him that totally just blows it all out of the water. Nicodemus believes that if you are good and if you are Jewish, if you're born into the family of, of Abraham, you are so in, so in. Like that's what it means to have faith. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't look like that, Nicodemus. Here's what he says. Jesus replied, he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So where we get this phrase, born again, if you've heard that before, born again. Nobody can see the kingdom unless they're born again. And Nicodemus is very confused at this point. And then he asked this, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. So you, you, you notice that he's so confused and he's like thinking, he's thinking Jesus is being very literal and he's heard that Jesus does this to people. He hear, he's heard that Jesus just kind of, you know, like turn, twist people all around us when they have conversations with him because he's just so brilliant and he asks all the right questions. And so Nicodemus is like, you know, so uh, you, this is ridiculous, Jesus. Like you can't just like, you know, get, climb back in the womb and be born again, can you? <laughs> I mean, I mean, can you? Wait, I mean, he's so confused. And Jesus says this. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. We'll talk about this in a second. Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was talking about, but for us, it's a, it's a little bit harder. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my, at my saying that you must be born again. The wind blows whenever, wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Essentially, Jesus is saying this. Remember, Nicodemus thought that, man, if you were born Jewish, you're so in. And then if you follow all the rules, you're like in, in. But Jesus is saying something so profound that was just blowing Nicodemus's mind. And it's hard for us to grapple how much of a mind-blowing thing this was because we're just, we're, if we were Nicodemus, we, we would totally get it. But Jesus is essentially saying that it's not about being born Jewish. It's not about the family that you're born in. And it's not about all the good works that you do. Jesus is saying that it's like passcode for saying, no, 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 you, you, don't, you don't earn it. This is something that I give you. This is something that I give everybody that wants it, that I give you this new birth. Because see, a baby just doesn't decide to go get born, does it? The baby doesn't do anything in the delivery. The mom does everything. I've been to four of them, so I know, all right? 
Um, the mom does all the work. The baby just is a baby. The baby just, it's just, it just happens to the baby. And Jesus is saying in, in a kind of a similar way that this isn't something you earn. This isn't something that you just are born in the right family with. No, this is something that is freely given through grace to anybody that wants it. And Nicodemus is stunned. This is so different than what he believes. This is so different than the faith that he was brought up with. And he asked this question, and I love this question. It's verse nine. He says this. He says, how can this be? How can this be? How can this be? It's a genuine question. I don't think he's snarling at this point. I don't think he's like, how can this be? I mean, I think he's, he's, he's just floored with the fact he's got a decision to make. Is he going to you know, jettison his whole faith or is he going to just hold, dig his heels in and just hold on to the faith that he was raised with? Or, or is he just going to stop and is he going to let Jesus define what it actually means and just be humble? He says, how can this be? And then Jesus says a few more things, but we're going to fast forward to verse 14 because Jesus decides to talk about something that Nicodemus does understand, okay? At this point, Nicodemus is still just bewildered. He's like, wombs and birth and wait a minute, I think I pick up what you're putting down, Jesus, but this is so confusing. Like, this is just so new for me. And then Jesus decides to talk about something that, that Nicodemus knows tons about. Verse 14, Jesus says this, just as Moses, and Nicodemus is like, okay, thank you. I know a lot about Moses. So thank you very much. I've got, I've, I'm good on the Old Testament. So tell me about Moses, because I know about Moses, Nicodemus says. And Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and what Jesus is referring to is this obscure thing that happened in the life of Israel from the Old Testament, from the book of Numbers. And it's this, it's this really interesting, strange story about the Israelites are all together, they're in the wilderness, and people are getting sick, and there's this rebellion. And, but Moses, God tells Moses to like put this, like this bronze snake on a big stick and just like lift it up. And like everybody in the tribe of Israel that, that like chooses, that looks at the snake, they're, they're, they're healed. It's a strange story from the Old Testament. But Jesus brings out this story and Nicodemus is like, oh, I know that story. I know that story. And Jesus says this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man, he's talking about himself, so I must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And this is like Jesus is saying like, hey, just like, just like Moses said, hey, don't look, at your, you know, don't look at everything else. I want you to look at the snake. That's going to be the thing where you're going to find your answers. Jesus is saying, hey, Nicodemus, none of your answers are going to be found in deconstructing everything. None of your answers are going to be found in just, you know, in, in jettisoning the whole thing. Now you have nothing. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at me. I want you to listen to me. I want you to look to me. This is where you're going to find your answers. And then John, the author John, who's telling us this story, he inserts his own little commentary here. And here is the most famous book, or famous verse, rather, in the whole Bible. John inserts his commentary into this story, and he finishes it up. He finishes it up with this. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Um, just a couple things from this story that I find so helpful when it comes to, comes to doubt. Because I feel like Nicodemus is kind of in this, he's in this place that a lot of people are. It's like, do I, what do I do with this faith? That maybe I was handed a faith from my parents, I was handed a faith from a faith community, and even the best parents and even the best faith community are still passing on. Um, you know, not all of it is, it's, it's not all perfect. And so we all have to go through this process of doubt and deconstruction. But Nicodemus has this choice. Do I, do I look to Jesus for my questions or do I just deconstruct the whole thing? Listen, a couple things. Number one, just like Nicodemus, just like Nicodemus, we are wrong in some of our assumptions and we can come to Jesus with, with sincere questions. Just remember that. Just like Nicodemus came to Jesus with sincere questions. Remember that moment? How can this be? I don't quite understand it all yet, Jesus, but, but I'm here, I'm talking with you. I feel like you've got the answers. And Jesus is having this dialogue with Nicodemus, just like the dialogue that he had with Thomas, with doubting Thomas. And so here's what you can be confident of, is whatever questions you have, whatever doubts, that just remember that there's part of what you believe about God that some of it's off, some of it's wrong. And so we can just humbly acknowledge that. And then therefore we can come to Jesus with our sincere questions. Jesus, help untie the knots. Number two is this, just like Nicodemus, we should reject parodies of religion and embrace the truth of Jesus. We should reject parodies of religion and embrace the truth of Jesus. I remember I talked to somebody at a bank one time that said that the way that you find a counterfeit bill when, when, you're, when you're feeling money is you don't just like feel a bunch of counterfeit bills and that's how you know. The answer is you, you feel all the, the real bills and you just get so familiar with the feel of a real dollar bill that, that you, just, you just know what it feels like. And so then when one slips in that's a fake, I, I, you know exactly which one it is. The way you spot a fake is you get really crystal clear on what's true, on what's true. And so that means that the process of, of, of faith is that we have to reject counterfeits, but the way that we do that is we get really familiar with the truth. And unfortunately, a lot of people were handed a faith that was just, just fake, just like my, my friend at Starbucks. He was, he was handed a faith that he had this experience and now he thinks that the whole thing's bonkers and the whole thing's wrong and he's just gonna move on because, it must, because none of it must be true. And how tragic that would be for him to do that. We have to be able to critique we have to be able to critique bad readings of scripture. We have to be able to critique bad understandings of what religion is all about. And guys, trust me, Jesus was the master at this. If you want to talk about somebody who knows how to critique religion, oh, there's so many passages in the, in the gospels where Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and Jesus just drops just some like nasty hammers on them. And there's like moments in the scriptures where you just want to go like, dang, Jesus, oh my goodness. Just giving it to the Pharisees because they have this viewpoint of what religion's all about and it's all external and none of it is heart change. It's all hypocrisy and none of it is actually genuine. And so Jesus has to just go in and just help them see, help them see, help them see. Listen, if you want to critique religion, Jesus can do it better than you. He can do it better than you. And so the answer isn't to reject faith in Jesus. The answer is to cozy up with Jesus, get to know him. That's the only way that we're going to be able to spot fakes and be able to recognize truth. Um, last illustration on that point, And then I'm going to invite the band to come up just in, in a second. But um, I, I've used this illustration before, but I think it's just the best one. But um, I've met a lot of people in my life that don't like Brussels sprouts. And 
I can relate because the, the, the home that I grew up in, we would go to my grandma's house and Patty Styles would make these Brussels sprouts. What she would do is she would boil them in water for about 15 hours. I don't know how long they got boiled in water, but they got boiled in water forever. And then they came out and they were these like slimy, mushy, just sponges of disgustingness, okay? This is just the how, how only way I can describe it. And then, not only that, then they put this cheese sauce over the top, this like Velveeta cheesy sauce. And I grew up hating Brussels sprouts. Oh my gosh. But then when I became an adult, I discovered that when you take Brussels sprouts, you cut them up, you cut them in half. You can leave them whole, but I'd like to cut mine in half. And then you do some olive oil. You do some salt and pepper, maybe just a couple other things. And then you put them on a, on a baking tray. You put them in the oven. You roast them up real nice. They get a little crispy edges on them. Now you've got some roasted Brussels sprouts. And they, guys, they're a proof of God, good, delicious. <laughs> the reason why people don't like Brussels sprouts is because you haven't had my Brussels sprouts. Because if you had my Brussels sprouts, you would know that you actually like Brussels sprouts. And I am convinced that what so many people are doing when they're deconstructing faith is they're deconstructing something that isn't actually even true Christianity at all. And they're pushing it away and they think they don't like it. It's because they haven't tasted the real thing. Because they haven't seen the real thing yet. And so how do we as Christ followers embody Jesus in such a way where we can Show people the real thing, where we live out our faith in ways that, that no, is perfect? No, because we're gonna fall short, but we're gonna rely on the grace of God and he's gonna transform us and we can give a vision and a picture of the gospel to the rest of the world that is compelling, that is enticing, that is so attractive. That's one of the great challenges and one of the great goals and missions that we have as Christ followers into the world that he is sending us out into. Last point, like Nicodemus, as you honestly seek the truth, will you have the courage to embrace it when you find it? Just like Nicodemus, will you have the truth to embrace it when you find it? Band, will you guys come back up and we're gonna respond with a song. Um, and as they're coming up, um, you know, Nicodemus finishes his conversation with Jesus at this point. And we don't know quite what happened next. Like maybe he went back to the Pharisees and they were like, they were like, what do he say? And he was like, oh, guys, I can't even describe it to you. He was talking about being born again. And then there was like a snake and, you know, it's, and, you know, we don't know really how much Nicodemus got at this point. But here's what we do know. The next time Nicodemus shows up, it's right after the crucifixion of Jesus. And I think at this point, Nicodemus got it. He got it. Does he still have some unanswered questions? For sure. But Nicodemus at this point knew that Jesus is the place for me to find all of my answers. Because the next time we see Nicodemus, he's showing up in the daylight to take care of Jesus's body, to help put him into the tomb. Even in our unanswered questions and doubts, if we look to Jesus, He's going to meet us there.